0: Uh, so whenever we read the Christian scriptures, we believe that we're doing something more than just reading an ancient old text. We believe that, that God actually speaks to us through these words, that he's actually communicating to us. And so before we, we read God's word, I encourage you to take a moment to just pause. Take a deep breath and wait. A lot of us are, are coming in from, you know, maybe a really great day, a really great week, Some of us are maybe coming in from a really awful day and a really awful week. So just take a moment to pause. Luke 5, verses 17 through 26. One day when Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and legal experts were sitting nearby. They had come from every village in Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. Now the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. Some men were bringing a man who were paralyzed, lying on a clot, on a cot. Uh, they wanted to carry him in and place him before Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they took him up on the roof and they lowered him, cotton all, through the roof tiles into the crowded room in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The legal experts and, and the Pharisees, they began to mutter among, among themselves, who is this who insults God? Only God can forgive sins. Jesus recognized what they were discussing and responded. Why do you fill your minds with these questions? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk. But so that you will know that the human one has authority on the earth to forgive sins, Jesus now spoke to the man who was paralyzed. I say to you, get up, take your cot and go home. And right away, the man stood before them, picked up his cot, And went home praising God. All of the people were beside themselves with wonder. Filled with awe, they glorified God, saying, We've seen unimaginable things today. The Word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Nate, so much for that reading of the Word. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Emmanuel, and I've been a guest preacher here at Nova for a while, and I love being here at Nova, and I think uh, what's happening here is awesome, and uh, Denver definitely needs churches here in the city, uh, especially the new kind of church that's doing church differently. In fact, it's not really new. You might say it's so what the church should have been all these years. That's a whole different conversation there. But I love Nova, and I'm glad to be with you guys uh, this evening. Going through a series titled, Are You the One? Are you the one? This is the question that John the Baptist asked about Jesus, his relative, who he baptized, who earlier had seen uh, God's spirit come upon him. And now he's in prison and he's wondering, I- I've heard stories about this guy. I've had expectations about him. And I'm wondering, is he the one? Was I truly called to be the messenger of this Jesus? And so he sends messenger to talk to Jesus and ask Jesus, hey, are you the one? And basically Jesus responds, you see what I'm doing. People being healed. Oppressors being set free from oppression. Life being restored. And the implication is, yes, I am the one. What we're doing in this series, we're seeing ways that Jesus is the one who is the solution to the problems that we face daily, historically, personally, corporately, etc., He is the solution. In our passage today, we see that continue as well. A question for you guys is, have you ever done anything wrong in which you feel guilty for doing it? And that guilt remains for a year for two years, for a decade or more. You wronged someone, you did something, you said something, or you, you didn't do something or didn't say something, and the guilt of that wrongdoing remained for some time. You want like, like me in this house? Yeah. My parents came to America before I did. I was born in the Congo. When I was six, mom came by herself, and then my dad came about a year later, and then when I turned eight, my sister and I came to the States. While, we were, while my parents were both gone, we stayed with my aunt and my dad's college buddy. And while with him and his family, uh, we began attending a school uh, there where he lived. Came in second grade, and I obviously going through a hard time. Parents are in a different country, sadness, et cetera, all that, that emotional uh, toll on a young seven-year-old. Uh, began school, and most of the people didn't really like me because I was a new guy and began kind of picking on me and the whole pecking order, you know, that whole stuff with chickens, but applies to kids as well, apparently. And one person, though, befriended me. Had me sit by him. Helped me with lunch. Helped me cheat on assignments. Or use my resources, as it's called these days. (laughs) Walked home with me. I right, Truly became a good friend for the first three weeks at this particular school. On the fourth week, after being friends with this guy, um, during recess, we were able to go out and play. And I was taller than most kids. I was quick and fast, pretty athletic. And so football, soccer, okay, was a popular sport, is a popular sport in most parts of the world, including the Congo. We're all playing soccer, and the older kids, the fourth and fifth graders, asked me to come play with them, and I did really well, and I became this amazing hero for the fourth and fifth graders. Which, as a second grader, oh, yeah, I got it. After school that day, they asked me, hey, come walk with us. Since you come be a part of our community, be a part of our our friend group. And so here I am, a second grader. Looking up to these fourth and fifth graders who now think I'm this great soccer player and they're inviting me to be a part of their clique, their group. I was excited. So I invited my other friend to come with me, and the fourth, fifth grader said, No, nah, not him. He's an imbecile. He's foolish. He can't be a part of our group. Now, as a good friend, I should have what? Nah, it's cool. He's he's coming with us. If not, you can't have me either. That's what I should have said. But I didn't. And so I left my friend behind, and we walked as a group back to our our homes in a certain village that we all lived in. About halfway there, we noticed that the guy, the friend is following us, who also lives in the same area, but the other guys didn't know this, and they began to say, hey, you stupid... Certain words I won't say in English, because bad words in Ingala, in the language of the Congo. of insulting him. And did I defend him? No. They then proceeded to pick up rocks. Pretty good-sized rocks. Size of golf balls. As he got closer, began pelting him with rocks. And throwing it at him. I should have said something. But I didn't. At some point, my friend bends down on, on, on his knees and covers his head as, as rocks are being pelted at him at a pretty fast rate by these fourth and fifth graders. I'm doing nothing. And at some point, one of the, the kids, the fourth graders, says, hey, uh, Emmanuel, why don't you throw in rocks? Join us. Hands me a rock. I should have said, nah, bro, I don't want any part of this. So I proceeded to throw the rock, not hard, but hard enough. To where it hit him. The last image of my friend that I recall is him looking up at me. Bloody on his forehead, forehead, tears in his eyes, staring straight at me. Since you're saying what the famous line Julius Caesar says, et tu, brute. Right? And you, my friend. We turned around. The fourth and fifth graders and myself walked back. Next day, I'm hoping to apologize to my friend and say, hey, I'm sorry for what I did. I, I, what, what, right? wasn't there a school. Most likely being treated medically for what had happened to him. The second day, I'm hoping that he would be there. He wasn't either. The third day, we didn't go to school because we found out that my, my sister and I were coming to the States. And so we were out of the school. Never saw him again. To this day, is he alive or not? How's he doing? Is that story or that event still in his head? I do not know. And for the longest time, that that, that sense of guilt has remained in me. I should have done something. I should have said something. I should have been loyal to my friend, even if it cost me being pelted with rocks. And yet I did nothing. Guilt. Have we done wrong things? Have we, you might say, sin, the guilt remains. I bring it up because people in the first century, day of Jesus, there's a theory or there's an idea that said, hey, if you did something wrong, the result is something bad will happen to you. I kind of have a similar idea today, with karma. For them, it was, it was embedded in their theology. In fact, in the Gospel of John, there's a man who's born blind, and the disciples ask Jesus, Jesus, this man is blind, is it because of his sin or because of his parents? That was the mantra of the day when it came to wrongdoing. Your suffering, your your poverty, your, your illness was because of what you did or didn't do against the Lord. In our story, there's a paralyzed man who's paralyzed. We don't know why or how he's paralyzed, but we can assume it's because he, at one point, did something that led him to being paralyzed. Our story begins with Jesus being in a room, and there's a crowd, as always with Jesus, and the people are crowded around him because he is the solution. He is the one, and he's healing people. He is teaching. He's doing what they are wanting. As we're doing so, we're told that there's a, there are four friends who have a friend who's paralyzed, and they want to get in there because they realize their friend is in need of healing as well. Again, I'm, I'm asking myself, is this, is this guy, he feel guilty for something as well? And that he know that this, this Jesus guy can, can heal him, which means by healing him, God is offering forgiveness to this particular man who's paralyzed. And his friends desperately bring him to Jesus to the point where they climbed the rooftop, they removed the tiles the, the and then so forth and lowered the friend down on a cot or a mat in front of Jesus. They were desperate. They were desperate. Which then begs a the question for us. Are we desperate for Jesus? Are we desperate for Jesus? To a point where we'll we'll do just about anything to receive mercy from him. To to receive healing from him. To receive help from him. Are we desperate for Jesus? Their desperation is seen in Christ receiving this paralyzed guy and and saying, your faith, the faith of your friends, caused Jesus to act in a certain way. Way. In verse 20, it says, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Which implies that he was paralyzed because of his what? sin. Paralyzed because of his sin. The guilt that was there, potentially, because of what he had done. And Jesus says here, Your sins are forgiven. Now, in verse 21, we're told the religious leaders, legal experts, and Pharisees hear this, and they're ticked off. How dare this guy, this rabbi, forgive the sins of this particular person? Because only God can forgive sin. Now, before we get upset at the religious leaders, we've got to give them some slack. Right? Because it would be like, let's say Nate um, wronged Katie in some way. And I'm Katie's friend and maybe Nate's friend. Who knows? It's debatable. I'm Katie's friend. And, and let's say that Dave goes to Nate and says, Nate, you're Katie. Guess what? You're pardoned. You're forgiven. Katie, and I would be like, Dave, what? What are you doing, bro? Right. Nate wronged Katie, not you. So how can you forgive Nate? They're asking here, Jesus, how can you forgive this man's sin when the God did not wrong you, but wronged God? It makes no sense for you to forgive this guy's sin. Yet yeah, Jesus responds profoundly by essentially saying this. I'm God. Now, let's be careful here. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Never once does Jesus say directly, I am G-O-D, God. That's why many scholars who are not believers will say, hey, look, in the Bible, Jesus, red letters, never says that he's God. Never once. And yet, however, there's so many times where Jesus does stuff that shows that he is God. If I never said that, I play basketball. Never mentioned basketball. However, you ask me about basketball stats or how to play, and I told you accurately. And you saw pictures of me on Facebook or Twitter of me playing basketball. You'd assume that I'm a what? Basketball player. Even though I never said I'm a what? Basketball player. While Christ never says directly he's God, he does stuff, he acts as if he is basically tells him here, look, I could have said, yo, get up. Take your mat and go home. But so that you may know that I have the authority to forgive sins because I'm what? God. And then he says, by the way, get up and go home. What we see from this text is Jesus letting us know that he is the Lord from whom we can find forgiveness. He is the one we can go to to receive forgiveness of our wrongdoings, of our sins. You might even say, Forgiveness flows from the Lord Jesus. Forgiveness flows from the Lord Jesus. So, what's that mean for us today? I think two short ways we can respond. We can take this idea into practice. I always say one, I don't know what you've done. How you sin against the Lord or his creation. But regardless of what it is, we can find forgiveness with Jesus. We can go to him as we are. You know, different traditions throughout church history have said, hey, you got to go to a particular person. And, and there's arguments for that. I'm not going to get into the whole conversation right now. But the point is, despite that, we are told repeatedly throughout the text, throughout scripture, that we can go to Jesus as we are to find forgiveness. No matter what is done, what we've done, no matter what the effects of that has been, we can find forgiveness in Jesus. Our guilt, our shame, no longer has to be there because he has offered us forgiveness. Secondly, I would say a different way to respond. We can live a life that reflects and shows other people that they too can experience forgiveness in Jesus. We can live a life through our words, through our actions that show and demonstrate to people that, hey, in Jesus, you too can find freedom from guilt, Shame, forgiveness. There's an EMT, I saw this on a TED talk uh, so many years ago, who said that when he arises, arrives at a scene where the person's going to die and he's there to basically comfort the person, there's three things they always want to, to know or talk about. One of them is guilt for something. They want someone to forgive them. So call my mom, call my dad, call my, my spouse, my, my kids, and tell them I'm Sorry and we are reminded we can find that in Jesus ourselves and hopefully live a life that shows other people that they, too, can find it in Jesus. About five years ago, four or five years ago, I'm asleep, and I wake up from a dream that I had, and the dream was the scene of me throwing rocks at my friend from the Congo. I woke up, sat up, went to the restroom, looked in the mirror. I'm like, Lord, what did I do? What did I do? I started tearing up a little bit, which I don't cry very often. Lord, what did I do? The guilt was still there. Two weeks from then, on a given Sunday, we're at church, and the pastor, the speaker, a preacher, he's teaching from Hebrews chapter 4. In Hebrews 4, we are reminded that we have a high priest. His name is Jesus, and this priest, we're told, is just like us. Mine is sinning. And because he's like us, he understands us. He gets us. He feels as we feel. And because of that, we are reminded to go to him. And to go to him, not to receive judgment, but to go to him to find mercy, to find grace. As I heard this, that guilt began to slowly fade. It hit me. I knew all along, yes, it's true, but it hit me at that point that what I've done to my friend, who I'll never see, maybe when Christ returns, that Christ says, I don't hold this against you. You are forgiven. The the guilt that you felt is pointless because I've forgiven you. Forgiveness Flows from the Lord, Jesus. And in Him, we too can find forgiveness and show others that they too can find forgiveness in Him. Would you pray with me? Lord, each of us, like sheep, gone astray in so many different ways. Yet, yeah, as a song we sang tonight, you paid it all. You paid it all for us. And God, we all have wronged people. We all will wrong people. And in the midst of that, Lord, we can find forgiveness in you. And so Lord, we, we, we thank you for that. We're grateful for your sacrifice and your offering of grace and mercy and forgiveness. As we take time to reflect, enjoy the the supper together, God, may we too let go of whatever guilt that we may be feeling, knowing that you don't hold it against us anymore. May you empower us by your spirit to live lives that shows other people that they too have been forgiven. All this to your renown and glory. Amen.